Hey sis, welcome to Humbly Hustling Female, a podcast where we encourage and empower women. We celebrate them. We talk about their struggles. We talk about their successes. We encourage and we empower you to tell your story because somebody needs to hear it. I'm Chris, the host, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of A Humbly Hustle Female. I'm your host, Chris, and today I have a very, very, very special guest with me, um, someone that I've actually got to know, and she's so, so lovely. Um, she is a board-certified gastroenterologist by the name of Dr. Nancy Matier. And Dr. Matier, thank you so much for being with me today, and I'm just going to give you the mic right now, and I'm going to just give um, give you the um give you the chance to just introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about who you are. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. And, you know, I think the world of you. So this is a huge compliment and a, a huge honor for you to share your platform with me. I'm, I'm excited to be here and thank you so much. So again, my, I'm Dr. Nancy Matier. Welcome to call me Dr. Nancy, a few people out there, but um, yes, I am a gastroenterologist. I, actually know Chris professionally, if that's okay for me to say, and I worked with her and fantastic. She makes me better every single day. And I'm really, really excited about uh, this other aspect of of her career and kind of delving into that as well. Um, But uh, yes, I'm a gastroenterologist and I interestingly have wanted to be a doctor my entire life. I, when I was three, apparently I announced to my parents that I wanted to be a doctor. I just, well, I think I decided that I was going to be a doctor and help people go figure how a three-year-old comes up with something like that. But apparently I did. And my parents pushed and pushed and obviously motivated me to do that. As far as finding my calling, it took a little kind of back and forth all around. You know, we all kind of think, we say, I'm going to be a doctor, but we don't think of what all that involves. And basically, um, after I finished college, I spent some time at MD Anderson Cancer Center, interestingly, we're talking, one of our topics is going to be colon cancer, but I did some research in colon cancer and, and basically cancer syndromes in general. It, with the, obviously, a GI, GI gastrointestinal system slant, and I think that maybe fomented some of my interest in this because I don't know what happened. I know that when I was heading to medical school, I knew I wanted to be some kind of doctor that would do something that would offer that would benefit the world. And I think I tangled around with primary care and cardiology and all these different fields. And uh, I believe it was in medical school. I was on a rotation, a surgical rotation, and I was reading an article about how colon cancer and gastrointestinal cancers were so, so preventable, but were going to be rising in incidence in the, in the coming decades. And one thing they were talking about in particular, one thing the specific article discussed was the 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 aggressiveness of these cancers in blacks and especially in black women as well and how these were such preventable conditions but they felt like you know there's a lot of disparities in healthcare a lot of disparities in how people are able to speak with their doctors and that comfort in speaking with doctors and relaying symptoms and you know how how people's symptoms are actually taken how people's symptoms are um are processed 
based on how they appear, whether it's obesity, whether it's obese or, whether, you know, black or female or what have you. And a lot of times symptoms tend to be dismissed in certain patients. They can happen across the, across the board with all different kinds of doctors. But this particular article just spoke to the importance of having female doctors and female doctors of color and black doctors who could speak to people and help them to understand because there is a lot of distrusted medicine that goes back, you know, decades and rightfully so. But if we had, if we had doctors who, who could speak to people and who, you know, kind doctors and doctors who could understand and doctors who could empathize truly with their patients, we thought, you know, it said we might save a lot more people. And I don't know what it was about that article. I don't know what it was, but it was that day I said, you know, I'm going to be a gastroenterologist. And again, it's interesting because having worked at MD Anderson in the GI cancer department, one of my supervisors even predicted that I would become a gastroenterologist. But at the time I said, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't think this is that. And, you know, lo and behold, that's what I wound up doing. And that is where the need has been as far as I'm concerned. Right. And I'm glad that you, um, you know, chose that specialty. That is how I, um, how I, um, met you and you know I've, I've had the opportunity of working with you I think that you are just like one of the best doctors out there I really really appreciate you and I appreciate the fact that you know um, of you saying that we need more female doctors and also not just mm-hmm. female but um, you know African-American doctors and then mm-hmm. and even with that you know just across the board of sometimes you know like you said people are intimidated um, yeah. by doctors um, you know, you feel like you can't necessarily understand them. Because I know even for me, Dr. Mateer, I've had friends that are not, um, you know, uh, in the medical field or they don't know too much about, you know, medical stuff. And they'll go see their doctor and then they'll call yeah. me and say, hey, my doctor said blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, yeah. okay. You know, and they're asking me, and I'm not by far any doctor. Yes, I work in the medical field, but, and, you know, right. just by chance, because, you know, I'm around it, you know, you hear certain things. And so, you know, some key words I'll pick up on, or I'll say, hey, well, this actually means X, Y, Z, but you need to go back to your doctor. And you can, and I, I tell everybody, make a list of questions, write yeah. them down beforehand. Yeah. And when you're there, I don't care what you think you sound like ask your doctor those questions. And I really wish that some doctors, and um, and, and some do it, but I really wish that some doctors, like you said, would actually kind of, you know, break things down to people to where they can yeah. understand because I think a lot yeah. of, you know, that has, you know. But I also just wanted to say, uh, like we mentioned earlier, this is another reason that I, I'm really enjoying doing this interview with Dr. Mateer because she is a gastroenterologist and, March, if you guys don't know, is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And so me personally, I've worked in GI, and I've seen different things. I'm pretty sure as well as, you know, Dr. Mateer has seen a lot more. But um, colon cancer, in some folks, the sad part about it for me is that it's something sometimes that can be prevented, Dr. Mateer. And I'm just going to put these, these, these few little facts out real quick, and then we'll kind of move on, and you correct me. If I'm wrong, but I just wanted to, you know, since I, I'm kind of, I like to inform people. So 60% of colon cancer deaths could be prevented if people would get screened. That's a large number of, of deaths that could be prevented from a simple examination. 
And I've had, um, I don't know if you've had a, a colonoscopy at Dr. McKee, but I've had a colonoscopy. Um, and I had one, I had one about three weeks. Yes. Oh, okay. So there you go. So yes. we've both had yes. colonoscopies. We both live. Yes. <laughs> was yes, not bad ma'am. at all. <laughs> so, yes. and we made it through it. Okay. Um, and um, I'll be very transparent here because I'm, you know, I want people to be educated. Um, you know, a lot of people tell you um, that you should be 50 or older when you have your colon. Um, over 45, if, if, if you're African American, like 45 and over, or if you have a family history of colon polyps or colon cancer. Um, other things, what, and I guess for me, Dr. Mature, because I, you know, work in, in GI. I was yeah. having a little bit of bleeding when I went to the restroom. Now, a lot of times it is, um, you know, um, uh, hemorrhoids sometimes. But right. for me, I knew that it could be something more than that sometimes. So I figured, hey, I'm African-American, I'm a female, yeah. and yeah. I, at the time, I believe I was 45. And I said, you know what, I'm not taking any chances because if I do have something there that I know could be removed while, during my procedure, I'm going to get that done. So that's what prompted me to go and do it. But, again, I kind of had a little bit of education about it, and I know some people don't. So that's just some a few things that I just kind of wanted to point out, you know, to kind of just show the importance of, um, you know, getting your getting your uh, your screening done. Um, and if you just – anything with your body, if you have anything that feels weird, you know, open up your mouth and, and definitely get checked on it. So now, Dr. Mateer, I know you, you answered quite a bit of the things that you were saying that um, you, you know, when you, you decided you wanted to be in medicine at the age of three, and that is like, um, that's really interesting. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> I think it's bizarre. I mean, my brothers, I had three younger brothers. They wanted, they wanted to be cowboys and policemen and, you know, lawyers and astronauts, and they went the, you know, they ran the gamut, but, you know, boring little me, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to be a doctor, and I then proceeded to start behaving like a doctor, even at that age, to the point that, I mean, kids, kind of cool kids in the neighborhood would bring, you know, they'd come by, like, somebody be like, oh, you know, Johnny hurt himself, can you kind of, can you fix him, and I actually was running almost like a makeshift clinic, clinic out of our house, and everybody knew go over to the Matier's house and the daughter will kind of fix you up. And I mean, people would come over, they'd bring, you know, get the bike, a scrape on their bike and, or, you know, the dog, their dog was limping. They'd bring their dogs just for me to kind of check out. So it's funny. I got quite a bit of practice and I guess I just really never wanted to do anything else. But uh, if I can go back to your colon cancer part, number one, this is so, and I hope all of your listeners are listening to this. I mean, what you described is so tremendous and is so important. Okay, number one, 45, yes, that is correct. And up until about two years ago, we were, you know, we were saying 50, for 50, just like you said, 50. But finally, it's taken us a couple of years, but we now can officially say that we are, the screening age is now 45 across the board. It used to be 50 was the screening age across the board, unless you have some family history, in, for which case we might make some changes and bring you in sooner based on the youngest person who had cancer in your family. Um, and, and, and then African-Americans, Blacks were 45 at that point. So to me, now the screening age is 45, which unfortunately will likely mean at some point they're going to have to say, hey, Okay, for Blacks and African-Americans, it's going to be about 40. The reason behind all of this is we are seeing a rash of what we call early, early cancers. So 
this colon cancer was a disease we said this is an, an old people disease and for some reason it was always seen as an older guy disease which it is not i mean it's an everybody disease but if you have a colon you can get colon cancer but it was a, seen as an older disease 50 years old you're going to catch it because we think oh those polyps polyps are growths that form in the lining of the colon and i like to i like to simplify it even more cancer are, is basically cells that don't know how to behave the cells you get the cells form all over the body when they when they start to take up too much space they stop they kind of move around it's kind of like literally sitting on a bus you are sitting on a bus next to people you're sitting in your space you take your space you leave your space when it's time to move a cancer cell is that guy who kind of spreads and spreads and takes over the seat to the point that he's moved everybody out and pushed everybody off the bus uh, in a grand in, in that's cancer cells that don't know how to behave and and in colon colorectal cancer specifically we're talking about polyps which are little growths in the lining of the colon and the rectum that just or in the or GI tract are all really that just stop learning how to behave and they take up space and there are various polyps some of them are simply an overgrowth of tissue some of them are overgrowth with glandular elements so we call those adenomas and what we know are that a lot of those adenomas have the potential to turn into cancer and so when you're talking about a small little growth that forms this is a 5 10 15 20 years growth from from the growth to about cancer so when we were thinking, okay, 50, 50, we can catch polyps, fine, easy, great, we'll catch polyps. Well, what we're seeing now is we're running into those people. It just precisely like you described, 30-something-year-old, 40-year-old who's having bleeding, 30-year-old who's having issues, heck, 20-year-olds. I mean, Krishanda and I, have, Chris and I have had, you know, we've had our own share of these younger people who popped up right. with a cancer where we weren't expecting to see. They came in with a little right. bleeding and we thought, oh, maybe hemorrhoids. And it is certainly true. The vast majority of bleeding, when people have rectal bleeding, yes, the vast majority of it is hemorrhoids. It's something benign. It's something simple that we can manage. But it's always important to, inter, you know, to intervene and evaluate. Let's make sure it's not. And I think what we wound up seeing were you see these 20-somethings, these 30-somethings with bleeding, and you know, they have some symptoms. It's like, oh, we think they have an irritable bowel. And we were dismissing the possibility that it could be cancer in these people. And so fast forward a few years, and these 30-somethings are getting cancers. And what we've now seen is there is now an increased risk. Somebody younger is far more at risk now for getting and potentially dying from colorectal cancer than, say, someone older. As a matter of fact, the National Cancer Institute said last year that somebody born in 1990 is now three times as likely to, have, to get colorectal cancer than somebody who was born in 1950. And look, who, who wow. was born in 1990? What, they're 32 now. I mean, these are not people yeah. we were even, that were even on our radar. So it also right. goes back to what you said about being able to ask your doctor. I'm a big believer. You've heard me say this in the room when somebody says, oh, I have a stupid question. I'm like, no such thing as a stupid question, only the question you didn't ask. You want to go right. to talk to your doctor, you should never feel silly. If you're going to see a doctor who makes you feel silly, you're not seeing a doctor and that and that person you don't that person doesn't belong in your life. Your doctors, and I know we're all it's, I, I don't want to sound so naive that we're all kumbaya, blah, blah, blah. Doctors are busy, there's a lot going on. But every doctor, we went into this field so we'd have time to talk to you about what, what you feel and what's going on in your body. And if I may take it one step further, I was thinking about cars. 
and I don't know a thing about cars. I hear people talk about like, I don't know, lately people are stealing catalytic converters from people's cars. And I, I don't know what a catalytic converter does. I don't know what a carburetor does. I don't know what a fuel injector does. I don't know what any of these things do. But when I talk to the mechanic, when I talk to the guys at Jiffy Lube, and they explain to me, okay, well, this is what's wrong, and this is why your car is making that noise. It helps. I don't have to be a mechanic to understand my car. And in the same token, I mean, so if, if, I'm gonna t- if we're going to take that little bit just to understand what's going on in our cars, shouldn't we make that ex- extra effort? Can't we have somebody helping us understand what's going on in our bodies? And that is the one thing I kind of want to do. That's the direction for me personally that I want to go in my career is educating people more, letting people understand more. I, I, when I, I do my, every day I do my medicine, I talk to my patients, I talk to my colleagues, I talk to colleagues like Chris and all, and I simply am using what I, I'm always using what I learned to begin with, like how I learned all this in medical school. I always had to find a way, just like, again, thinking about how this works in a car, this is how I try to do with the body, and I explain things how I, I, I want things explained. I want to understand it the way I started understanding things the first time as a medical student, opening up those books. So I've carried that into my profession and I want people to understand. I understand some people don't want to know a lot. They don't want to know a lot about things, but at least you want to know what's happening in your car. You should want to at least know what's happening in your body. And your medical professionals are out there to help you with that, all of us. I just wanted to make that point that that is our job, and that is a privilege to help you understand your body. Right. No, I agree with you 100%, Dr. Monsieur, and that is, a, I like the way you put that, you know, you can, you know, with the, you know, the car <laughs> in your body, you're right, yeah. you know, we should yeah. know, you know, like you said, I'm I'm not a mechanic, you know, as you yeah. said, and, and you're right, I don't want to be, but, you know, no. you give me a simple little, you know, let me know, why is my car doing this? That's all it takes, so. You're absolutely right, and I hope that anybody is listening that you take from what Dr. Matera is saying and that, you know, when you have questions, please ask. And like she said, you know, I do understand by far doctors are busy. They have a lot going on at times. But like she said, it's also their job to be able to um, let you know what is going on with you. And if that means that they have to sit and explain that to you and educate you, then that is what needs to be done because, you know, Dr. Mateer, I've been in, in procedures sometimes where, um, you know, I've had patients come in and, you know, we, we always do timeouts and things like this. Yes. And I've had a patient there before that was there for a colonoscopy, and they thought yes. they were there to get something done to their foot. They had no See? idea what was See? going on. They just went along with, because my doctor mailed me this letter, told me that, I needed to be here at such and such time and somewhere across, you know, what have you, maybe they really weren't understanding, you know, right. they thought they were there for something completely different. And when he learned right. what he was actually there for, he said, no, this is not what I thought I was here for. And he ended up not getting the procedure, you know? So oh. you're right. It's about educating and talking to people and, you know, and just making people aware. And I thank you, Dr. Matier, because I, um, I, I see you with your patients and I see you explain to them and go over things with them. And I really do believe that a lot of them really, really appreciate that. And that's, you know, um, they, they definitely are like, Hey, I want to come back because you make me feel like I understand what's going on with my body. So that's super, super important. Um, let me ask you this, Dr. Matier. 
Um, yes, now, if you, if you had to rethink your career, you know, would you do it all over again? Would you still say, hey, I want to be that doctor and I, this is my specialty that I want to go into? Do you have any regrets about what uh, you, your specialty uh, that you chose? <laughs> sure, absolutely. And let me tell you, it has been a hard road and I, and I know what you're alluding. I, I know what you're alluding to. And yes, it has been a tough road, but I would do the same field again. Because I know what I can do, because of how the how the how how I feel about the guts and how they're almost like a second set of brains. Although I do certainly respect the rest of the the body, and I respect the entire human body. But for all of the hard, the difficult work, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice, yes, I would absolutely do it again. Because I I'm thinking about how many people I've touched, how many people I've been able to. How many people have had some, in some cases, these chronic diseases like Crohn's disease, and they've had these diseases for 20 years, and nobody's ever taken the time to explain to them what's happening and knowing and, and the ability to actually actually be able to help people. Because, you know, we, we, in medicine, we, we, it's, we talk about, oh, people come in, their belly ache, and a lot of times there's so much that can be accomplished just by sitting and talking to a person, making that person feel heard, having people, let them feel heard, let them feel understood. Even if I don't have a solution to their problem right there in the moment, it's just the idea of being invested in them that can really go a long way. So yes, a long, a long roundabout way of answering your question. Yes, I would absolutely do it all again. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad for what I am doing right now. Oh yes, and I'm I'm glad you did it too, Doctor, because like I say, I um I've run it, I've worked with a lot of doctors, and you know, um, you're one of the special ones. I will say that because um I do see how you you take the time with your patients, and I think that makes such a big difference because I even know for me, and not just you know dealing with GI, any type of doctor or anything. Um, when I go and I feel like I'm just another patient or I'm just, you know, I'm just here, like, okay, what's wrong with you, blah, blah, blah. Nine times out of ten, I'm not going back, you know. Um, I'm not saying that you got to sit there and listen to my whole life history, but there is a way, like you said, that you can listen to people and you can uh, make them feel like they are are definitely a part of their their care, which they are, you know. So um, now I'm going to ask you this because, Dr. Mateer, you know, you are a black female and I'm a black female, and this is a podcast for women, you know, women of all races. But um, as a doctor, I mean, you know, sometimes a lot of people, I guess, you know, and maybe not so much, you know, now these days, but, you know, maybe, you know, kind of back in the day was more of like a, you know, a male-oriented, I guess, feel per se, you know. Yeah. Um, did you, you know, did you have any challenges or you know, when it came to your, like, you know, schooling or even now in your career, like, do you face those challenges? Because I, I mean, I, I guess I've heard like both sides, like, you know, I, I've talked to some ladies and they're like, oh no, I never had those problems, blah, blah. But then I talked to some females and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, I face this every day. So um, especially with you being a doctor and then you have this specialty that you're doing as a, as a black female, you know, did you face any of these problems? Oh, my goodness, every single day, and it is still happening today, every single day of my career. My my favorite thing, and uh, we're at a timely, uh, it, it, it's very timely, but every single day of my career, I mean, it starts from the beginning. Growing up, I automatically, my parents were very clear, you're going to have to be better than everybody, you're going to have to be smarter, you're going to have to put in more work for probably half of the return. 
So it's never going to be enough for you to be as good as anybody else or just as good. You've got to be the best. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is what, that is how I was. And yes, I mean, heck, going to college, you know, having people presume I, you know, that they love to use that affirmative action. I'm affirmative action person. You're, she's an affirmative action student or an affirmative action hire. But I would always, I mean, I had nothing to prove to those people, but I always made sure it was never okay for me to just be average. I had to be extraordinary and I had to be exceptional. And pretty much all through my education, all through my work, all through my career, and I mean, heck, today, heck, tomorrow, you know, I always had to make sure I was the best. And with that, because with that being said, if I was any less than the best, then I was a less than. And it just, unfortunately, it's a gross and a horrible thing to have to say. And I, you know what, I took it and I said, okay, this sucks and this is not, this isn't great, but such is life and this is what I'm, you know, such is what, you know, the cards we've been dealt. So I'm just going to play my best cards and do what I can. And so, I mean, even at work, I, and I'm sure you've seen this, I mean, how many times I'll introduce myself to a patient, how many times, and hi, I'm Dr. Mateer, hi, I'm Dr. Mateer. And it's like, oh, okay, hey, Nancy, or, or, you know, or in some cases, I've said I'm the doctor, and like, and when's the doctor coming in the room? I mean, how many times have we always seen that? And even after I've, you know, you know, I've presented myself, it's written on my, it's written on my uniform, it's written on my scrubs, you can see it, I can see it, you know, but People just, there's just that sense of not really wanting to acknowledge. So I've had to, I, I deal with that all the time. It's an ongoing thing. And, and, and honestly, my way, my, I feel like the best revenge is being the best. And I think that was my way of getting through it and working hard. I, I don't, I, you know, I, these external for, factor forces, I, I try not to let them get to me, but I'm human. I'm a woman. You know, I'm a grown woman, but, you know, things still get to me. But when I'm in that moment and I'm with that patient who has started crying because he's, he's so relieved because he thought he had something terrible and he didn't understand what was wrong or the woman who's just freaking out of, I, you know, I have children. I don't want to leave my babies. I don't want to be sick. I'm scared. I'm scared. And my ability to get through to someone like that, it, it, it just, it, it overshadows all those annoyances. It makes it all worth it. And I look through it and I'm like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why. This is why it's so worth it. But as far as those challenges, they are every day. They are never ending. And honestly, the only thing I can do is just keep being my best and pissing everybody off. <laughs> oh, that's that's not awesome. Exactly yeah. I love you. I love you. No, I, I, I love you. I, I swear. Um, and, you know, and like I say that, I, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of that, you know, stuff is still exists and, like you say, you push through, and I mean, I think you shine um, above all. So, um, again, thank you for, you know, what you do, and thank you for educating your, um, you know, your patients, and not just your patients, even for educating me, because, um, you know, um, there's times where I, I have gone to Dr. Mateer and asked her certain questions, and, you know, she's uh, been able to help help me as well, as long as some of my other coworkers, so I really do appreciate you um for doing that and for staying true to who you are um yeah. so i do also want to ask you dr Matia, um you know if um hopefully some young lady um is out there listening and and men also but um sure. since it's a podcast for women um if you've got that young girl out there who's you know thinking hey you know i want to be a doctor or hey you know maybe i just want to get in the medical field or 
um, you know, just anything. And, you know, like you say, they're afraid they may face some of these challenges or that it may be a tough road ahead of them. Um, yes. What advice would you have for kind of like the the younger uh, Dr. Mateer? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Number one, I would say we need you. Do not give up, number one. Number two, I would say never, ever, ever give up because I can't keep, I can't say that. Never let anybody try to diminish your dream. Never let anybody tell you what you are or who you are. If if you have this dream, you have this dream, somebody, God put this dream on your heart, in your mind, you know, in your heart. Never, never give up. It is okay. You are going to walk in. I'm just speaking to that young girl out there who doesn't really feel like here, you know, feel like she can do this. You, you can do this. If this is a dream, this is something you want to do and you are willing to put in the work, it is so worth it. It is 100% so worth it. It's worth putting in the work. Now, when I talk about the naysayers and all of that, and I allude to them and I talk about them and how they will affect this young woman, also know some of that comes from fear because nothing is more frightening than a young woman who knows herself, who knows what she wants, who knows, and who is strong. And usually, strong. you're stronger than the naysayers. So a lot of times, these naysayers, these people who are trying to diminish you and put you back, are just simply intimidated. And really, your best bet is to continue working. You want to be a doctor? You want to go into the medical field? Never let anybody say that you can't do it. And that's, that's my biggest thing is, is never give up. Is never give up. Right. We need you. We need, we need right. young women, we need, we need good, we need good people in medicine. We always going to need good people. More and more of us, we're getting older, we're getting sicker. We're going to need those good, dedicated doctors, people who are really in there for the right reasons. We're going to need those people. So yes, we need, we need you. So you want to be a doctor, you want to go into medicine, you want, you're interested in science, you love science, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Use it. Use it and be, you know, use it and achieve it because you can. Because and you know, if I can do this, anybody can do this. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right, and I love the fact that you point out that we need good people, and it, and you're right because I think about all the time. Um, you know, I've had some good doctors in the past, and I've had some that you know weren't so great, but a lot of the you know the the good ones are they're leaving, you know, and so it's like hey, yeah. we want some good. We like she said, we need some good people, so. You heard it from Dr. Mateer, you know, if, you know, like she said, if she can do this and if you're willing to put that hard work in, you guys yes. can do it. You know, we, we really need, uh, we need some good folks out there. And I think with medicine, yes. we've come a really long way in a lot of things Amen. and um, due to, you know, some good folks out there. And so, um, I mean, you know, look at this whole COVID thing, you know, um, we, you know, um that could spark a whole nother conversation, but I do think that we have some good we have some good people out there that are trying to do you know some good things to to um to cure things and to at least help with things and all of that so yes, we definitely definitely need you so Dr. Mateer, I know like we said uh, March is um you know the national colorectal cancer awareness month um yes. and um I'm pretty sure we're gonna be seeing a lot of you know things, and I'm definitely gonna use any platforms that I have to, you know, definitely just kind of throw things out there. Um, yes. And I know, and I, and I don't want to keep you too long, but is there anything that I, that um, I missed or something that you wanted to cover about, um, about colorectal cancer or something that you want to say in regards to it before we end? 
I may have already, I may already said it, and you touched on everything so beautifully, but I would say, number one, yes, get your colonoscopy. And, and if I could help dispel some of the myths, because, you know, people have these terrible, I mean, people imagine a colonoscopy like torture, and I, I'd like to actually maybe dispel that a little bit. Okay, number one, yes, it does involve clearing out your colon and drinking some purgatives and laxatives to kind of clear you out. You are not drinking gallons of fluids that are going to choke you and suffocate you and make you, you know, and blow you up. No, you're drinking some laxatives, maybe about two to four liters, which if you look at your bottle of water, that's a half a liter is not that much in the grand scheme of thing. You're drinking that over a few hours. Yes, for a day or two, you're going to be on clear liquids like jello and broth and water and what have you, and see-through juices and see-through sodas and coffee and tea. You're going to clear out. You're going to come in. This is not some huge rod. We're going to, there's some fear that we're going to shove in your bottom. It's a, it's a flexible tube with a light and a camera, a colonoscope. We're going to pass it into your colon. You're going to be usually either asleep or very, very relaxed and comfortable. We pass that tube through. We take a look. We see polyps. We remove them. This is in no way a torture. I, I just, I hear people all the time saying, well, I don't want to drink that thing. That's why I'm not having it. And then I, to them, I say, okay. I understand that laxatives, it's not fun. The process isn't fun. But you know what? This tastes bad, but then again, so do chemo and radiation, okay? So if you can put away that, that, that fear and that understand that you're drinking a little bit of laxative to clear out your colon so that we can visualize. We're not going to hurt you. The procedure is not painful. Maybe a little bit of cramping, maybe some discomfort from air, which you're going to release once the procedure is over. You know, you're sleepy for the procedure, and it's, it's, it, a lot of people don't even see. Some people watch, and they love it, and they have fun watching it, and they're just relaxed. But one thing I hear about every single time, I hear so much of the time, I see these people coming in, they're anxious, they're stressed, they're nervous, and they wake up usually in recovery, and they're like, oh, it's done. And I get that, we get that all the time. And I love that because it means we've done our job. You know, it should be, it's like, oh, that's not a big deal at all. Oh, that wasn't bad at all. That was nothing like I thought it was going to be. But yes, that's the thing. Number one, yes, 45 or old, older, or if you have some family history, you know, talk to your doctor and see, but sign up for that colonoscopy. Get out there, sign up for the colonoscopy, okay? Beyond that, any age, you know, 15, 18, 20, 30, you're bleeding, you're having pain that won't go away. You're bloating all the time and you can't explain it. Maybe you're losing weight. Maybe you have a stomach ache and you can't wrap your head around it. You have to figure out what's going on. Also, push with your doctors. Don't, especially symptoms that persist, because I feel like our bodies try to tell us when something isn't right. So don't just get dismissed. You know, you're bleeding and somebody says, oh, you're not old enough to have colon cancer. Nope, I'm bleeding. Let's investigate. Let's make sure and exclude that possibility. So yes, those are the big things I would say. If you have symptoms, let's go for this. If you're 45 or older or you have some family history that necessitates you doing it even sooner, let's jump on this because you can save yourself a world of trouble, a world of pain, and a world of misery for just, a, you know, maybe one day of kind of struggling with a liquid diet and some laxatives and a 30-minute procedure. So that's one thing I can get across to people is it is not as bad as you're thinking and it will help you immensely. All right. No, thank you for that, Dr. Masira. Um, I couldn't have said it any better. So there you have it, you guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, go out there, and uh, not that bad. And, and you know, and like you said, and I'm, you know, I, I, I always try to keep things real. I always try to be very transparent. I had one at the age of 45. Um, 
I know it probably was not as nerve wracking for me because I've worked in the field and I knew what to expect, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, your girl loves to eat. And so, you know, if I can do a little, <laughs> you know, prep and, you know, have a little broth and jello here for a day or two, you know, I made it through. Um, I couldn't even tell you what went on during the procedure. Okay. Um, I did have one very, very small polyp that, um, you know, wasn't anything to worry about, thank God, but, you know, I, I needed to know this and I needed to have a peace of mind so that I wasn't worried about, you know, what was going on with myself. And I felt such a relief afterwards. So there you have it. You have it from a, a board certified gastroenterologist, uh, Dr. Nancy Mateer. And Dr. Mateer, I thank you so, 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 so much um, for <laughs> coming on and not just talking with me, but talking to the listeners and just really educating them um, you know, uh, and kind of making them aware. So I hope that um, someone is out there listening and that they're thinking and like the wheels are turning in their head and they're saying like, okay, you know what? And maybe it's not so bad. I'm going to go and get that colonoscopy. Okay. And y'all remember to thank Dr. Nancy Mateer when you do. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, in, <laughs> but anyways, I thank you so much, Dr. Mateer, for taking time out of your schedule and speaking with us. Um, I wish you all the luck and success. Um, and so you guys that are listening, thank you for uh, tuning in. You could have, you know, listened to anybody or uh, anything, but for some reason you decided to stop and listen to me and my dear friend, Dr. Mateer, discuss um, um, colon cancer awareness uh, things. And I appreciate that. And I'm always humble. And until next time, everyone, stay safe. Remember that March is, the National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and go get checked. It's not 50 anymore, guys. It's 45. So go get checked. Until next time, you guys, be safe. Thank you.